Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive deep into the tools, laws, and yes, processes that you need to know in order to scale and grow your organization. On this podcast, we help you structure your business processes to make your people your organization's greatest competitive advantage. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much any podcatcher of your choice. You can also subscribe at peopleprocesses.com, which will give you exclusive subscriber-only content. Here is your host, Rami Alajil, author and CEO of People Processes. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so excited to have you today. We are going to be interviewing Tim Spiker. He is the founder of The Aperio and The Who Not What Principle. This is a research-based truth that has powered 15 years of leadership development. Tim's book, The Only Leaders Worth Following, reveals that 77% of leadership effectiveness comes from who a leader is and not what they do. And we're going to be poking at that pretty hard to see what that really means and uh, push back a little bit as such a process-oriented organization as we are. Using this principle, Tim's helps people become, be, and stay the leaders who are worth following. His work includes keynote talks, creating unique and customized learning experience, and guiding long-term development journeys. Tim has worked with leadership teams in North America, Australia, Asia, and he currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia, with his wife and four children right up the street from us. <laughs> Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rami. Really glad to be here to get a chance to visit with you and your audience. Man, I'm, I, I appreciate you coming on. I think we're going to have a lot of value. Now, Tim, I'm going to push back. Now, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't read your book. I need to. I haven't read it, but I checked out your blog. Uh, by the way, guys, if you haven't, <laughs> well, you know, the links are in the description below. You need to check out Tim's website, The Aperio. Um, in his blog, he's got the eight sexiest things about leadership or the the eight sexiest leadership something and others. Gosh, I can't remember <laughs> it now. But man, it's cool. And I got so, I, I enjoyed reading the whole thing. So uh, y'all check out that blog. Um, but Tim, I, I want you to explain the idea of this principle soon. But first, I want you to hit on one topic, which is if it's who we are, um, and not what we do, that's kind of the opposite of what we push here. We talk about systems and processes day in and day out, mm -hmm. which are what's they're things that we do. Mm -hmm. So what role does then systems and processes have in this who not what principle? Well, I think, I think by the time we get done talking about it, that conflict won't feel like it's there. Um, but ultimately there is a process by which people can grow and develop and become more well-developed human beings in who, in who they are. And so mm -hmm. what we use around that that might relate to what you're talking about with, with regard to process is this idea of depth community, the idea of depth community and time. And so when we look at leadership development, that's our process, but our process is aimed at making that person a more well-developed human being because it creates a better bottom line result. Okay. All right. Well, then walk me through it. Don't you know? We'll, we'll get to the process in a second. But what's this? What's the broad idea of this? Who the seventy-seven percent of leadership comes from? Who a leader is, and not what they do. Yeah. So I worked for a consulting firm, and we would put leaders through uh, a series of leadership assessments and experiences on the west side of Pikes Peak, and inevitably we would get questions from them 
what is that uh, magic mix of personality, natural and natural ability that helps create a more effective leader? And we had enough data to look into that question. So we crunched the numbers, a colleague of mine, Vanessa Kiley, she put the SPSS software through its paces to see if there was a statistical correlation between any aspect of personality, natural abilities, and leadership performance. And so she called me into her office one night and said, we have the results. And, and then she said, well, she said nothing because there was no correlation. So, <laughs> so that was a little bit, uh, I can't say that we were surprised, but I was really pleased to have an answer to take back to our clients, that there was no magic mix. But as I was exiting her office, she said, hey, our, our analysis, though, did find some other correlations. And so I turned around and said, well, what did you find? We had eight aspects of leadership that were being measured on our assessment. And what the software run had found is that just two of those areas were accounting for almost 70% of the variability on the assessment. If you just think about dividing a pie up into eight pieces, any two pieces should only be worth 25%. And we were just under 70%. A couple of years later, when there were 10 times the number of data points, Vanessa ran uh, that analysis again and found that it went up to 77% of the variability on the ass assessment was being driven by just two of our eight aspects of leadership. And so that told us that these two, you know, not every aspect of leadership is equally important. And mm -hmm. it was three years later, I was sitting in an office by myself one day looking at that leadership model. And it was like, just a great big gong went off in my head and in my soul to an extent. And I realized that those two aspects of leadership that were driving all of that variability were a function of who you are as a leader as opposed to what you do. And so that's where the who not what principle came from, is that we found that who you are influences so significantly the effectiveness of what you do as a leader that it's responsible for three quarters of your effectiveness. Hmm. And so tell me, what, what, by who you are, what do you mean? Well, you, I mean, I'm assuming you. you don't mean demographics. <laughs> no, I mean, not at all. Yes, yes, yeah, I'm, this is not I'm over six, It yeah. turns out you got to be over six feet. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I'm five foot six on we've a good always, day. We've always heard that, right? Yeah, there's a whole lot of other stereotypes that we wouldn't want to talk about with regard to typical pictures of a leader as well, because they're just, right. not, they're just not true. Um, but what is true, and to answer your question, and I love the question, what, what do you mean by who? We mean inwardly sound and others focused. If you are an inwardly sound and others focused, it materially impacts in a positive way everything else that we do as leaders. So the, the story isn't that what we do doesn't matter. It's that what we do is highly impacted by how inwardly sound and others focused we are. I love that. I think inwardly sound is a great way to put it. There's a, um, <clears throat> when I started my company years ago, I, uh, you know, I grew, I went, I've hired, I've fired, I've been, been through this a hundred times. Hmm. But, uh, one of the things that was brought to my attention was that, uh, from the people who stuck around was that one of the key reasons they felt the company worked was that they, they had confidence that in the company, me and my family and the company itself was gonna be fine. Hmm. We were very conservative financially uh, uh, with the company money. Mm -hmm. uh, my my life was uh, 
well put together. And, and the only reason I say this is because when you said inwardly sound that I had an employee years ago tell me that it was like the, the inspirational part of like why he wanted to grow into a new role with the company was that he saw that in my life, the things that he was stressing about every day, I wasn't stressing about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's something, it, it, it never occurred to me. It's not in my book. I haven't thought of this. I think <laughs> in terms of processes, but the leadership, I, I, it kind of clicks now what you mean by who, not what is people don't follow people who don't have their crap together. Well, and, and to, like to, yeah, and to a certain extent we're all flawed, right? So this is, oh, yeah. yeah, this isn't about, <laughs> this isn't about perfection, uh, but this is about what are we aiming towards and how well developed are we along the way? And, and the story that you were just sharing there refers to a specific piece of being inwardly sound that we call secure and settled. And mm-hmm. a colleague of mine, John Ott, he coined a great phrase around that, where if I'm secure, the leader would say, I'm okay. And if I'm settled, the leader then says, come what may, I'm okay. And so it kind of encompasses the idea that I'm comfortable in my own skin. And regardless of what the world is going to throw at me, I have, a cons- I have a confidence about myself and I have a security and settledness there that I'll be able to handle it, whatever it might be. Well, that translates into leadership. So think about if you've ever had an opportunity, um, I hope you haven't, but so many of us have. Have you ever had the opportunity to work for an insecure and unsettled leader? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've that's, been there. We've yeah, all been there. Yeah. yeah. So there's the there's the knowing and painful laugh that I have have had myself. And so what happens? Just kind of play this out. When you think about the idea of the concept of thinking strategically, now this is a part of the what of leadership. We all want to follow leaders who will think strategically. But I had an experience once with a leader who was who was very insecure and very concerned about his station on an executive team and lots of questions about whether or not he deserved to be there and all the things that would go into that. And they went forth with a big initiative to take a look at cost issues throughout the organization. And he got his team together after that meeting and he said, okay, what do you think the president of the company wants to hear? Couldn't possibly be a more wrong question to ask. And you see, now you see kind of like, or maybe it sounds a little bit far off, but when you think about an example of, of like that, you see there is an insecure leader who is concerned about how he's being viewed by others more than he's concerned about figuring out how to best help the organization. And it totally shifts the conversation. And now he and his whole team are less strategic than they could have been because they're aiming in a direction that's going to take care of his insecurity, not one that's going to take care of the company or the shareholders. A great example. Tim, I uh, I have I, I want to keep talking about this, and we're gonna we're gonna dive in deep. We got another forty minutes to to rock into this idea right. and talk about the processes you can you can go through the the ways you actually improve these ideas. But I think you've laid it out. It makes me think about uh, some of the entrepreneurship books I've read many times, where you know there's this idea that entrepreneur well entrepreneurs and employees to a degree read different things, they think different ways, but. Uh, one of the key things that's always improved my company is self-improvement. And it's a common idea in entrepreneurship circles, right? You can't lead a company if, um, well, it, what is it? it? Never Don't think that your marketing organization can be a 10 if you're a 6 with your mm-hmm. family. 
mm-hmm. right? Like some very basic version of, or that's the very basic version of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is a great thing to explore. I've never thought about applying it to my managers internally. It seems like I'm overstepping to a degree, but I'm super excited about that. Yeah. Before we go too deep though, Tim, I want you to lay out a little bit about your journey. Um, most people who listen to this, they, they tell me the number one thing they love is this coming question. You've run your company for a while. You've had a great journey through it. You haven't always been at the top. Now you've got a pile of, you know, you, you're doing great. You're coming on interviews. You're yeah. an expert. But it wasn't always the case. Right. So what I'd like you to do is tell the story. And I mean the story. Don't be like, well, there was this one day and this happened and then be done. <laughs> tell me the story of the worst entrepreneurial or leadership uh, event in your journey. Oh, and I, wow. the reason I go to the worst, not not a bad one, the worst is people who listen learn just as much, if not more, from our mistakes than they do from our ideas and victories. Yeah. And it lets them know if they're maybe in a bad space right now, it sure. can turn around. Sure. So tell me that story. Wow. I'm, I'm immediately beginning like, okay, I'm happy to share the story. How do I scrub it enough to make sure nobody's identifiable? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're good. The, my, 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 uh, you know, the, at least you have a good, at least you have an idea. Yeah. A lot of times yeah. people, uh, I ask this question in there. Um, I can always tell how long someone's been in business because, uh, the people who've been in business a short while is like, it was last week. <laughs> or, you know, it was six months ago, this happened. Yeah. And then the guys who've been in business a long time are like, man, which one do I pick? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'm thinking of a couple, uh, honestly. Um, let's see which one to start with. Well, uh, there was once an opportunity where I was working in an organization and uh, the person that I reported to was a part of the executive committee. And one day in an executive committee meeting, I was asked to uh, make a presentation about some things that we were working on. And there was a snippet of a detail about the project that we were working on where I had said something different than the person I was reporting to. And uh, this person was very uh, concerned about how others in the room might perceive that difference. Uh, again, mm-hmm. I think we're, we're getting back into the insecurity space with this story. And this was not a punitive company. I know there's some companies where if there's a little bit of a difference of opinion that the president or somebody else might want to you know, string you up for not having done your homework properly and not having come prepared. But it wasn't that type of organization. And it really was a minor detail. After that executive uh, committee meeting was over, I ended up back in the office of my boss and we were talking about that. And we came to the moment where we talked about that part of the meeting. And my boss got really quiet and said, well, now it's time. Um, Now it's time for me to start protecting myself. Oh, and you too. And I'm like, okay, hold on. (laughs) So number one, why? What's the problem? And number two, I don't need to say out loud, but I understand that this really isn't about me because that was the afterthought after you heard it come out of your mouth. And what happened is this person was extremely um, back to the issue of insecurity concerned about how their other people was were perceiving uh, that leader. And because we hadn't been lockstep on, on that one detail, um, what happened after that is uh, I had been relatively left alone to do my job for a couple of years um, because I was, I was expert in a, in a, place. My experience was in a place where my boss didn't have that experience. And that was great. But after that, I had to return, I had to turn in written reports every single week of every single thing that I was doing. 
And um, then I had the opportunity over numerous times following that to get written up for things in my official file that that were really only kind of half stories. And whenever I said, hey, um, can we put the whole story in? If you're going to write something up, can we put the whole story in there? Um, or can we focus on can we focus on moving forward and the improvements that are going to be made? And I was told, no, we can't put anything in the story except what I'm putting in there. And no, we're not going to focus on how things are going to get better because people forget the bad things that happened. So we need to make sure this is really aimed on the stories of what happened. And so mm. you might imagine after a couple of years of that, um, there were other reasons involved too, but after a couple of years of that, I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to move on <laughs> because this is just a really bad environment and a really unhealthy leader to be following, to have, to be that concerned about how other people were perceiving the leader. And so uh, that was that was probably the worst one. There's some other bad ones, but that was a pretty bad one. Interesting. So from that, um, I mean, your result was stick it out for a while and then eventually move on to a new opportunity. Yeah. But if someone was uh, listening right now, maybe they've been in a similar situation, like where they've, uh, uh, I don't know, stepped out of bounds intentionally or unintentionally or now they've got a boss who effectively what you're telling me is your boss didn't trust you, right? Well, that, that trust, I mean, not, not, a, they're not thinking you're going to steal something, but that trust that you're going to be in the same place and that you're there, uh, it changed because well, of this simple event. That, yeah. Well, the, yeah. The, that leader was concerned about a level of expertise and had told me previously about those concerns. And so I had a little bit more of the information because that particular leader had been a little more open with me previously. So it was really more of an issue of if you went down the line on the things that that I was bringing to the table to the team that were maybe a bit unique that others didn't have, there were a lot of things that weren't in that person's uh, strength area. And I think I think in many regards, that leader felt like it showed uh, showed the leader up. And that obviously wasn't my intention. I was just doing my job every day. And so that gets again back to the security issue. So if you're so so maybe the 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 scenario then is if you're listening and uh, you you have a position and and you know look I, I personally run my teams this way everyone who works for me knows more about the thing they do than I do by a large margin um, but you I have just, to be comfortable with that but you got to be comfortable with I it, mean right. and and unfortunately there are many leaders and and this and what's so hard about this is that it's hard to see in the mirror. There are so many mm -hmm. leaders who are not comfortable with that, but are unaware, which is another issue of being inwardly sound, self-aware. They're unaware that that's how they think and how they see things. So it gets really tough. It can get really tough. So what advice would you have for someone maybe in a similar situation you were in, Tim? What would you maybe, if you could go back and whisper in your ear, you know, the day after that, that first meeting, <laughs> what would you tell yourself like, hey... Yeah. Here's what's coming. Here's what you need to do. What would you yeah. tell yourself? Well, I think there's a, you know, there's perhaps the simplest answer. I want to say, Hey, this isn't going to get better. You should, you should start, <laughs> you start, you should start looking now. I mean, um, I think I, I think I first encountered it on one of, uh, I think it was, it was on, sits on the desk of Oprah Winfrey that says when somebody shows you who they are, you should believe them. Mm -hmm. Um, now, it's a little bit of a dangerous statement because we all make mistakes. Hopefully there's right. a measure of grace in the world, but there's also some truth to that as well. Um, but if I were to whisper to somebody in that same situation, I don't think I would patently say, you know, time to update the resume, <laughs> call the right. headhunters and, and get out. But I would, I would say be eyes wide open. Just understand the situation that you're currently in. And that leader can change, but they may not. And some of the best advice I got um, as I struggled for those two years, 
I had a chance to um, to bring up this topic with a counselor once. And I said, you know, and this it was great because this guy had a corporate background. So he wasn't just from a counseling background. So I could talk to him about things that were going on at work. And I told him this whole story. He's, uh, his name's Gary Hansen. He's great. And uh, he said this. He said, uh, this sounds like a toxic person, Tim. And I said, all right, I can buy that. <laughs> I can. That's not a stretch. He goes, well, how do you treat toxicity? And I immediately, you know, I'm 48 years old, so I immediately thought of Chernobyl. Honestly, that's what that's what comes to mind for me when I hear the word toxic. And he says, you don't ta- you don't try to improve or rehabilitate toxicity. You try to manage it so it doesn't do more damage. And all of a sudden, the light bulb went off for me. And this is what I would share with somebody, which which is. I am trying to create an ideal situation with this leader. And, and what was unique about it is I was in charge of leadership development. So I was leading mm. up and managing up a little bit as well. I was going for what would be great leadership, but I was, I was working with a toxic person. And so ultimately for, for sanity, I shifted to thinking about toxicity and it really changed everything. It made my relationship with my boss much better. I quit aiming for what would be great and started aiming for, well, what would be best to survive the moment? And long term, I would never recommend that anybody do that because you end up stagnated. But for a season, for a time period, for the sake of not going crazy, it is okay to look at something perhaps for what it is. So don't try to rehabilitate toxic, manage it so that you can survive and then figure out what you want to do longer term. And, and unfortunately, I know many people because of geography or perhaps family situations, they can't just quit a job and move on and move somewhere. Right. And if that's the case, if you feel like, hey, I do need to stay here, then minimizing the damage of toxicity is a far wiser path than trying to improve or rehabilitate it. It's going to keep everybody sane, including, including the toxic person that you're working with. I think that, you know, first of all, let me say as a leadership coach and trainer, um, it's the exact opposite of what I expected you to say. Um, (laughs) And I got to say, I love it. (laughs) I I, I do. You know, the number of there's there is no utopia. Um, We are here um, doing our best. And if you're in a if you're if you're, you know, uh, if you're the entrepreneur in charge of a company. I've told, I've told this to clients before, you know, they've got, uh, they're, they're running a company. They've got somebody who is doing the job. Okay. Um, but man, the relationship isn't there. They don't see the future. And, you know, sometimes people go, well, I just should, I should can this guy right now and find someone better. And I don't, sometimes that's the answer. Just like sometimes the answer on the employee side is quit, Go, go figure it out somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But there's a practicality to it. Yes. As a, as a person, as a human, you have responsibilities. Yep. You have people relying on you. Uh, you have a, 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 a resume, a career, a reputation. Yep. All of these things, not to mention a, a kid at home who needs, a, <laughs> who right. needs lunch. Right. Right. Act practically. And if what it takes is, is, um, putting a big concrete dome over somebody so that they can't bother you. Hey, you know, it's a start. It gets you through the season. Yeah. Don't, don't settle for it forever. You don't want that to be your life's work. Right. But I think that's outstanding advice. And and I think in probably the last 50 interviews I've done, I haven't had a, someone who said, be practical. I think <laughs> you know, well, don't, don't, don't kill yourself trying to just um, uh, make it perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes the answer is narrow it down and then, um, 
uh, figure out where you can improve. Well, all, all credit to Gary Hansen for having taught me that uh, taught me that concept, and I've shared it with many other people since then. So, yeah. All right. Well, Tim, now let's let's circle back around. Now that everybody knows, look, everybody has crap. <laughs> it's part, it's <laughs> That's part right. of it. That's and right. sometimes the answer is to just deal with it and, yeah. and, and, and live through it. Yeah. So what I want to talk about now is what you do at uh, Aperio or the Aperio. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if let's go back to the principle for a bit. Yeah. In the back of your head, I want you to think about if there was someone listening, running a five man shop, not a, not a, you know, a, a, a fortune 5,000 company with a couple hundred employees who's out there trying to get leaders developed, but they're running a small shop. They've got their first few employees mm-hmm. and they want to make some improvements after listening to this for an hour. They want to go do three things this weekend or this afternoon with a piece of paper. I want you to think in the back of your head about what those three things would be to get them moving in the right direction. We'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, but first, before, while, while that's going on in the back of your head, tell me a little bit about the uh, other items. You mentioned one was uh, internally sound, but there was another item. Yeah, yeah. That was a part, and what does that look like? I got you. Yeah, so inwardly sound and others focused. Others focused. And probably the best way to describe them, well, let me, I'll give you a couple, a couple different ways, uh, in fact, that have come to me through some of these interviews that I've been doing. I was talking with somebody a couple of weeks ago and somebody, the interviewer said, so inwardly sound, that means you're not a dumpster fire as a person. I'm like, that's a pretty good definition, actually. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. that's, that's not bad. When it comes to the others focused side of things, it's who are you showing up for every day? Is this, is this really all about you? And nobody, there are very few people who want to admit that even when they're living that way. But it's ultimately, is this leadership role that you have just about what you get and what you receive and about your upward mobility in life and in your vocation? Or is leading actually more about the other people? Uh, the followers that you are sowing into, that you are investing in, that you are helping them to grow and develop on their path. And we find that, and this isn't going to be a shocker, is that others focused leaders get more out of the people who are following them. Go figure. (laughs) Um, Because we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want to matter. And others focused leaders bring that to the table in a big way. So those are the two big buckets. We, I mean, we can get into specific aspects that live within each with each one of them, but those are the two big buckets: inwardly sound and others focused. So, to be, uh, you know, I, I understand, and you're, you know, this is this is not being a dumpster fire is as much a mental thing as it is, you know, having a roof over your head mm-hmm. and being outwardly focused is um, a mentality. But how does it express itself in action? All right, um, what does that look like? If you're sitting there and saying, all right, if I could magically review my last two weeks, mm-hmm. what would be some things that make me go, eh, maybe I'm not as outwardly focused, assuming we have a little bit of a blind spot on ourselves? Yeah. What would be the actions that would maybe give you an idea of where you're at on the spectrum? Well, let me, let, me give you, let me give you six things that land into that category. Okay. Are you attentive? Are you curious? Are you empathic? Are you humble? Are you emotionally mature? And are you something, now this is, a, this is a Greek term, agapone, which is a state of unconditional regard for others. And so if you look back through your week, and I'm gonna, I'll take aim at curious a little bit because this is part of the three-part answer that you, that you asked a second ago. It's one thing to be curious about facts. 
And there's a whole lot of literature that's out there regarding the need for intellectual curiosity and leadership. And it is important. What I find more challenging is we think about the umbrella here that we're talking about, others focused. What does it mean? What does it mean to be curious about other people? What does it mean to be curious about their perspectives and their ideas and their emotions? And so practically speaking, um, if I just said to myself, hey, I want to be a more effective leader, what would happen if over the next 90 days I dedicated myself to being a more curious leader? What if I said, um, I'm going to use the phrase, tell me more about that 100 times in the next 90 days? What would happen? Um, and I, I can tell you from experience what happens is that people get a lot better information by which to make strategic decisions. Back to that idea of how who connects into what. When I have better information, I can do a better job of doing all the what's of leadership, pursuing vision, think strategically, marshalling resources, all execution, all the things that go into what we typically talk about in leadership are better when I have more information. What we also find when we as leaders bring genuine curiosity to the people that we're leading is that it improves relationships. And when you improve relationships, it also has an impact on information because we have a more natural free flow of information back and forth. It becomes more about what we're doing than all of the mayhem that goes into unhealthy relationships. So just as an example, in terms of what's that's a practical example, incidentally, just to, again, we're, give credit where it's due. Dr. Mary Shippey taught me that phrase. Tell me more about that. She taught me that about 15 years ago, and I share it with my clients, but honestly, it impacts my life positively almost daily. So uh, that's an, that's an idea of something very practical. If I want to say, Hey, I want to be a more others focused leader 90 days from now than I am right now. What's something I can do? Well, I can decide to say, tell me more about that on a regular basis so I can become more curious. Hmm. And the information, obviously you're looking for more factual information, but it sounds to me like there's also a, uh, a goal in there uh, to, find out more about the mentality or the thoughts behind the facts, something like that. Well, uh, we're trying I mean, to learn more about the, the employee itself. Absolutely. Because somebody can offer their perspective on something, but there's, there's always more behind it and nothing gets past our worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a perspective that, that colors how they see things. And so part of, part of what you're doing when you're being curious is you are gaining more information and understanding, but it's not just about, the ideas of others, it's also about their perspectives. And, and that's an important thing when you think about leading somebody. Don't you want to understand how they see the world so that you can take that into consideration for how you're going to lead them? Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, there's a, that's a practical action. All right. So here, here we have a uh, leader. Mm -hmm. and they're, they're listening. Maybe they're uh, middle or upper management. Maybe they're a CEO. Uh, maybe they're a director of HR. Okay. And I guess... Um, Let's actually, let's narrow it down. Let's make it easy. Five man shop, small business owner. He's got employees. They do task-based jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and he's thinking internally that maybe turnover is an issue. He doesn't know that morale is very high. Um, uh, and he or she wants to be a better leader. Mm -hmm. Where could they start pad and pen to take some action that would, that would make their make themselves better. And I especially want to focus on, well, let's, let's go with that for now. Yeah. Okay. So we've mentioned this idea of being more curious and not just curious about facts, but curious about people. Uh, that's an others focused, uh, 
That's a, that's a part of being mm-hmm. others focused. I'm also going to bring in the word empathic. What does it mean to be more empathic as a leader? Now, there always gets to be an interesting conversation when we bring in the word empathy because some people will immediately say, well, if I connect more emotionally with the people that I'm leading, then I won't be able to hold them accountable. I found it just the opposite. Mm-hmm. I've found that when I'm more connected with somebody and they know that I'm connected, not for the sake of manipulation, but for the sake of serving, and I call them to my office and I say, hey, you know, we're not getting enough done, but I want to talk to you about it. Help me understand. Help me understand your perspective and, and your reality around what's going on here because our, our efficiency level is too low. If I am having that conf- – if I'm the person who's in the seat that's being asked that question, if I know that the leader – is connected to me and my reality emotionally, I'm going to receive that much differently than if we're totally disconnected. If we're totally disconnected, then I'm probably, my next response is probably one of defensiveness. Right. And we're going to have to work through that before we can even yeah. talk about the issues. Right. So um, one, of, one of our clients said at one point that empathy humanizes leadership. And I thought, well, that's a really simple idea. I wish that I was, uh, I wish that I was the one that had said that, but quoting, quoting him, it was, it was a great observation. So, Empathy, beside curiosity, is a really great and really great idea. And some people say, well, well, how, how do I become more empathic? That seems like a pretty mighty challenge. And it is, but we, we share with our clients this idea of what we call the 300-second pause. So 300 seconds is just five minutes. Mm-hmm. And when during the course of the week, and oftentimes when we're going through this this part of the journey that we take people on, they'll say, hey, I'm going to use the 300-second pause three times this week. And what that means is before I get ready to head into a discussion or a meeting where there has the potential to have some emotion, Mm -hmm. I'm going to actively think about what is it like to be in other people's shoes? What are they bringing into the conversation? One of the examples I use around that is imagine somebody starting a job for the very first time. That only happens a a number of times during the course of one's lifetime. I mean, more and more (laughs) as we understand, but there's still, that doesn't happen 150 times for most people. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm the leader in the organization and we've got somebody coming in for their very first day, how would it impact that first day's interaction if I sat in my car in the parking lot for five full minutes and thought, what is it like to start a new job for the very first time? What's it like to walk in the doors? What are the concerns? What are the fears? What are the excitements? What are all the things that somebody experiences when they're starting a new job? Now, when I walk in the door and I see that person, I am coming to interact with them with a much for much more thoughtful connection with where they're coming into the day. And we can even, you know, back to the to the processes. I was in an organization where we really structured our onboarding around this idea to say, what is it like to start at a new company? And we're all familiar with this place. We're all excited about what we're doing. But wait. What are some of the concerns or apprehensions that, that an employee starting today is going to have? And how can we take that into account in how we build the processes of this week, this first day and this first week of employment? So something like that 300 second pause on a regular basis that just says, I'm really going to put my shoes, uh, my feet in somebody else's shoes and really imagine to the to the point you know the point of empathy is to feel the emotion that somebody else is feeling it's not just to know it in your head it's to get there a little bit uh, a little bit deeper in the heart area and so that that changes the way we interact with people so that's another practical but i have let me let me pause there i've got one more other practical one to add but what are your what are your thoughts when you hear that well uh onboarding uh, first of all i think 
the 300 second pause is a great that's that's an excellent way to make this a actual thing that can be done be more empathetic here's a task I, um, I an entire chapter of my book is onboarding and it's a key part of the employee life cycle um, and in my entire uh, I mean I've, I've I've given hour-long keynotes on onboarding as a specific thing and I mentioned you know think about it from the perspective of the employee you don't want this you want that mm-hmm. I'm I'm a hundred percent stealing this <laughs> <laughs> that's fine that's fine yeah. so because <laughs> we talk about every process every event should have a goal right and we talk about the goal yes. of onboarding often in in, in people listen to the podcast will, will know this. We talk about what is the goal of onboarding? Evaluate what you currently do, write it down, make a list. Mm-hmm. Now, write, t- take, take the time. This is the biggest thing. Set the goal. What is the purpose of onboarding? Is it to cover your butt legally? Is it to mm-hmm. get paperwork signed? Yeah. Is it to take an employee as quickly as possible from happy to start a new job to competent? Is it a job? Is it a, is the goal to take someone from enthusiastic but completely ignorant about your company <laughs> to? Yep. And this is the argument I make: the goal of onboarding and onboarding is a longer term thing. This way is to take them from I've heard of your company and I'm excited to work here to I can be trusted to make decisions mm. that would be made by the leader or owner um, even when he's not here. So it's not just knowing how to do the job. It's not just competence. It's the having the knowledge and understanding of the principles of the organization to make decisions without you. That's the ultimate goal of an employee is to get them to that, that ability to make decisions because you can't have an SOP for everything, right? You can't have a process. Like no, you everything can't. The goal is to get them to that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's how I think of onboarding. However, I think I want to write... I think I, I, you know, every, every four, five, four or five interviews, I go, I got to add this to my chapter next mm-hmm. time. People processes version two. Yeah. Write your goal, do your work. And now take 300 seconds, put yourself in their position. And now once you've done that, imagine going through the steps you just laid out. How does it empathetically, you know, how does it feel to that employee to mm-hmm. go through those steps yeah. and does it accomplish your goal? Well, it, and I think that's so great. Well, that, that brings up another thing. Sure. Sorry. That brings up another thing regarding the goal, which is, you know, what do you want them to know and do, but also how do you want them to feel? How do you want somebody to feel at the end of a first day? Because if you don't manage that well, <laughs> that's the first and last day is quite common. Well, that's a, Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, Hey, um, Hey, does anybody know where that paperwork is? And, um, you know, we'll get you some lunch at some point, but have a seat here. Like how many times does that happen? And those organizations, they're not, they don't have ill intent, but what do they communicate when they do that? What do they communicate when they don't have their ducks in a row, at least for day one? I mean, I'm right. going to say this in a funny <laughs> way. Can you at least fake it for the first day? Just pretend, you know, I, I'll, I'll figure out pretty quickly that we don't have it all figured out. But what, what kind of emotion are you creating? I mean, you want to put gas in the engine of your employees. So much of leadership is about just two simple things on the what side, which is focus the organization and fuel the people. Well, what kind of fuel are you putting in the people who are in your organization if you communicate to them that you never think about them, you never consider them? And, and this first day example is, a, is a, really, uh, a really easy one to poke at because I think there's a lot of organizations that fall down on that. 
you've covered two items. Yes. Tell me more. All right. Tell me more about that. <laughs> well played, Rami. Well played. I, I think you're – no, I'm just recapping. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Here's, here's, here it is. You're, yes. you're listening. Yep. Very good. You wrote down, tell me more about that. Yep. And now you've thought about doing a 300-second pause before major events to think about the – by the way, as uh, my background's in sales. Okay. Um, I – that was the – we didn't call it the 300-second pause – um, but so much of sales training is focused on like you and getting yourself in the right mindset. Mm. But early on, my grandmother told me this when I was 15. She said, think about what the person you're talking to is feeling. And before you start your presentation, take a minute. Imagine they tell you to, to envision yourself successful, right? But I want you to turn around and for a minute, pretend you are the guy or gal you're presenting to. Mm-hmm. What are they seeing? How are they feeling? And uh, envision that going well. What would that look like? And you can see how you should behave that way. Mm. And this is a this is a this is a leadership version of that. Yes, I think it's, yeah, exactly, exactly. She was wise. <laughs> she was. She was yeah. awesome. Tell me more about that. Three hundred second pause. Now number three. Okay, number three. We're going to move out of others' focus, and I'm going to go into a space in inwardly sound. Um, and I listed off the pieces of others focus. So I'll, I'll do that quickly here just so we get the full, the full breadth on inwardly sound. So we talked about secure and settled earlier. So secure and settled, self-aware, principled, holistically healthy, purposeful, and for the second time, emotionally mature. Emotionally mature has a foot in both worlds. So that's why you end up hearing it in each list. But I want to, mm-hmm. I want to zero in here on self-aware. If you're a really courageous leader, or if you just want to get more courageous, one of the things that you can do, regardless of how large your organization is, is just to open up a dialogue with people who you are leading and say, hey, over the next three weeks, I'd like to meet with each one of you one-on-one, and here are the questions I'd like you to, I'd like you to answer for me. Number one, what can I be doing differently or better? Full stop. Second question is, what do I need to keep doing that's really making a difference for you or for our organization. And if you just go with those two questions and have an open dialogue and let people know about those questions ahead of time, don't call them in and say, Hey, give me the answer. <laughs> give them yeah. some time to think through those answers. And if you're genuine and sincere, the other part of it is, look, I want to be as effective a leader as I can possibly be. And I'm interested in the people, in the perspectives of the people that I am impacting the most every single day. And you're on that list. Now, it doesn't have to be with every single person. I encourage people when we do this exercise with our with our work with our clients, pick somebody that is not necessarily your biggest fan, um, which is scary. I get that. It's uncomfortable. Like I can start sweating just thinking about this exercise. But it's a good one. It's a good one. And I would also say this. Um, because the who not want principle is talking about who we are on the whole, not just at work. Think if you do this with a family member, you know, the context is different, but you do this with a spouse and it's, it gets even scarier, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, and, and I get that. And you might say, well, I know what my spouse is going to say. Okay. Maybe Mm. you do, but it's still good for people to be heard. And, if you say, tell me more about that a few times in the midst of that conversation, I bet you're going to hear an edge to that thing you thought you knew you were going to hear. I, you, you knew you were going to hear. I bet you'll hear an edge to it that you might not have expected or, or fully written mm-hmm. down. So to just say p- to people, basically, what is it like to follow me? 
And what are the things that you think I could do better? I could change on. Uh, what are the things that I need to keep doing? That second one's really important. People skip past that. Yeah. It is so important because there are way more ways to do something wrong than there are ways to do it right. And so it is critical that leaders understand what do they need to keep doing? Because I will tell you, many times people get feedback around a question like that. And they're like, I didn't even know that that mattered. I mean, okay, so, you know, I, I bought roast beef sandwiches for everybody once a month. I thought that was just a little bit of an expense thing. But turns out, that's a really important thing for some of the camaraderie of the people around here. I didn't know that. Okay. So some of the things that we do as leaders, they don't, they don't seem like a, a big deal to us, but somebody will, and they'll, they'll turn the lights on a little bit, a little bit brighter and help us be a little bit more self-aware, not just about the things that we could be doing better, but the things that we're doing well. Interesting. Those are good questions, man. I, uh, you know, I, I thought about asking my employees. I was like, I could handle that. And then you're like, ask your wife. Like, oh. <laughs> it does. Uh, no, I love my, I'm just kidding. It changes the equation, but it is a, but courageously, we have many people who work with us who, who do take those questions home. Right. And that's emotionally sound, which is part of that. In, in, um, inwardly sound. Inwardly sound. Inward, no, I'm sorry. Yep. Inwardly sound, but you were using this under emotionally, I'm sorry. Self-aware. 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 So I want to increase it. my self-awareness. See, there's two parts of self-awareness. There's how do I see myself, which is important, and some people are mm -hmm. not even conscious of that. That's like, I don't even know how I see myself. Let me think about that. But then there's the other reality is how do others see me? And right. you, this, this, these questions are about diving into that other side. How do others see me? Interesting. All right. Well, I think, first of all, if you guys have listened so far, um, you've gotten three actionable items that are worth taking and they can't hurt. There's nothing that can go like this is the, there's nothing but good here. Um, but I do want to talk to Tim a little bit now. I want to transition yeah. to the pushback. Okay. You're going to hear. Sure. Because I'm thinking about uh, one of my managers, ops manager. She's mm -hmm. awesome. She's relatively new to the role. Um, first time manager. Uh, she's one of those people who uh, killed it, incredibly competent as an employee. Now she's a manager. She's having to learn a whole new skill set. Uh, and management is, uh, it doesn't mean the same thing as leadership, uh, but they go hand in hand. And she has to take care of the day-to-day -day escalation. She's got to make sure her employees are uh, uh, working at an efficient pace. Mm -hmm. She's got to... Uh, do quality checks to a degree because sometimes they they may answer a question they may do something wrong they got to fix that she's got to make sure that they're growing in terms of training uh, if I called her up and said hey uh, I'd like you to take an hour um, or I want you to start in incorporating these following items into your week every week mm -hmm. uh, so that you can be a better leader um, first of all I, I almost feel like at least in my we're, we're a relatively formal organization. I feel like to a degree I'm overstepping my bounds on building a leader versus a manager. Um, so there's a little bit of hesitation there. Uh, but the other side is, uh, how, how do you respond to people who say this is a time sink? I have enough to just get my darn work done mm -hmm. to then to think about this stuff. Well, this is the part where hard truth comes in. Mm -hmm. um, this is where the data pointed. So I am some people are surprised at this. I'm an electrical engineer by education and I end up in the leadership space. 
mm-hmm. which means I didn't lose my love of numbers and statistics. I actually bring it into the leadership space. And so the reason that we talk about inwardly sound and others focused is because that's where the data points. And it's not just the data that I was a part of. HBR has published stuff that, that points in this direction along with KRW, Human Synergistics, which is a global organization and has done research for decades and decades around the world, has a couple million data points that, that go in the same direction. And so because of the data, not because of the anecdotal stories, which are which are all over the place, but because of the data, if somebody says, this sounds like a big time sink, I just don't have time for that. Then what I would try to say with just as much understanding and compassion as I could, I would say, then you don't have time to be a good leader. Right. I mean, this it, is it. this is what moves the needle. Yeah, it's just, it, this. These things that we're talking about make all those other activities, all those other efficiencies that you're mm-hmm. after, they make them work that much better. I'll just I'll squeeze a little example in here to to help mm-hmm. put uh, some rubber on the road here. Let's take the issue of humility. People who struggle with humility, they also tend to struggle with not being the ones who have the ideas because their ego wants them to be the person. And especially when you get in leadership position, there is at times this this idea that the leader is the person who's supposed to have all the answers. So what does it mean if I'm a prideful, egocentric leader and we need to have the best ideas possible for our lean process that we're going through? I mean, are you going to go in a room by yourself, come up with all the, all the ideas, pat yourself on the back, and then expect that everybody else is going to perfectly follow your perfect plan? No. Of course not. Of course not. Right. <laughs> you need other people involved for a multitude of reasons. One, because they're going to help refine the ideas because, frankly, they're doing the work. So they're going to have some good ideas. Also, back to the focus of the organization and fuel people, you need people with energy in the tanks to go do things. If you treat them as a widget, you will not get the full potential out of the people that you are leading. So you need them to have some ownership in the improve. If you're, if you're going through lean, you need them to have some ownership in how that's moving forward because we all are more committed to things that we have ownership in. But if your ego won't let anybody else participate in problem solving, it won't even let the best ideas be in the room because it's all gotta be about you. So that's an example where I would say to somebody, look, I understand this takes time. Frankly, this is a really long haul road to development. The, the things we're talking about here are not like, how am I a better leader by taking a little blue pill, blue pill and then waking up tomorrow? That's not, right. you know, this is long haul stuff. And so it needs to be just, you know, if you want to eat healthy and take care of your body and work out, these are the same types of things. These are the things I need to be working on over and over and over again. If, if you said to that same, if that leader said, hey, look, for the next 30 years, I don't have time to eat healthy food or work out. And to which I would say, look, there's going to be a consequence for that. I'm not telling you it's going to happen tomorrow, but eventually there's going to be a consequence for not having healthy habits in your life. That's true for all of us. That's what science shows us. I would say, shows us, I would say exact same thing is true in leadership. And so if you don't have time, to become more inwardly sound and others focused, then you don't have time to work on the thing that drives 77% of leadership. In the last, we have, we have about 10 minutes left here. In the, in the next five minutes, we talked a little bit about the, the small business owner kind mm-hmm. of idea. But let's say that you're a HR director listening now and you're already, you already know, you know, you're an HR person. You've, you've already built out 
to a degree, leadership training, there are management structures in your organization. You know, maybe you have 30 or 40 frontline managers um, and they're, they're doing, you're a good HR company. You're, they're conducting one-on-ones every week or every month with their employees. They ask about their goals. They talk about their problems. They uh, provide feedback. What is a thing that could be pushed down or uh, recommended as a simple tweak to the one-on-one? If you're already, if they already have a structure where they're meeting with employees consistently, mm-hmm. um, what would you recommend? Like, hey, adding to the to the to the sheet every week, you fill out a one-on-one form, or every month, um, goals, problems, uh, and accomplishments is a lot of times the the standard way that's laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you recommend maybe adding to that that helps people move more into this uh, either others focused or even inwardly sound mm-hmm. as kind of a recurring pro- a step that they could take? Well, it has to be a part of the conversation. And, right. And, and that, I mean, and that's, you know, that's I know that doesn't sound overly complicated, but if you look at the systems and processes that you have from an HR perspective in the development of leaders, if you're never having conversations about who, then you're leaving three quarters of the conversation out. And so it takes some courage to do that. And, and it's because it's not kind of your normal, just give me the facts and just talk about strategy and just talk about the tweaks of our process. But you have to be in a a conversation about those things in order to improve upon them. One of the, one of the things that we share with folks uh, to to put it into a phrase is if you want to have world-class leaders, you've got to have world-class conversations about leadership. And if you leave out 77% of leadership, you're not going to be able to do that. So ultimately you have to be willing over time, not all at once. It doesn't need to be, you know, you don't need to inundate people with ideas that they've not been exposed to before, but begin to talk about what does the research say? And then begin to talk about, hey, if you were to, you know, we're going to get together next month. Here's something I'd like you to pay attention to. Um, we know that being curious is an important part of leading well, and I want you to be the best leader you can be. So I'd just like you to pay attention to over the next few weeks, where do you see yourself being somebody who's really curious about others and their ideas? And where are some places that maybe you don't feel like you're doing that quite as well? Let's just talk about it in a month. It doesn't have to be super complicated and, and you can't violate the relationship either. I mean, just right. think about normal relationships. Sometimes when business, we get silly. We're like, <laughs> like we forget the normal, just because you have authority over me doesn't mean that our relationship magically jumped forward. Like you, you have to build over time. And so you're not going to have the most um, confrontive conversation with somebody ever about these ideas of being inwardly sound and others focused in the first conversation. Like that, that would be crazy. You wouldn't do that when you're starting to get to know somebody. And if, even if you have been working them, working with them for a while, I think it's the type of thing you begin to ease into. And you always, uh, you know, a little, little credit here to Simon Sinek. You always sell, you always say, why, why would we be talking about curious? Well, because it's part of three quarters of a leadership. That's why. And so giving people a reason and then starting to get into those conversations and organizationally, if you have a larger organization, step back and look at your leadership development initiatives and consider how many of them are helping to make your leaders more inwardly sound or more others focused. And it gets back to that list of things that I, that I read mm-hmm. off earlier. You know, if, if we're not doing anything to help our leaders become more principled to take one of the aspects of inwardly sound, then, then why not? Because, because again, we know the impact. Ultimately, here's the, here's the connection point that people hopefully can, can connect with and understand. 
When I'm more inwardly sound, I'm more trustworthy. When I'm more trustworthy, you get greater engagement from followers when the leader's more trustworthy. And engagement leads to better performance and better results. And we've got a 300 studies worldwide that show that. That's how all this connects together from being inwardly sound and others focused to more trustworthy, to more engagement, to better performance and results. That's why the who, not what principle exists. So share that with people and say, here's why we're talking about this. And then go on a normal relationship journey. Don't deep dive in places that, you know, we just started this conversation. Understand your context. You'll get there over time, but you're not going to get there all at once. Outstanding. Tim, you have shared so much value with our listeners today. Thank you so much. What is the position? What What is, who's someone listening right now and they go, man, this Tim guy, he knows what he's talking about. We may need help in our organization. What does their organization look like? What are the questions they're asking themselves right now uh, that that really is a p- great potential client for you? I'm sure people can go online, read your book, and I highly recommend his blog uh, and the website, which is linked below in the description. Uh, but what is the position or the mentality of someone listening that they should email you right now because you, you really want to work with them? Well, I think it's if the idea of who not what is starting to make a little bit of sense. Um, and you mentioned the book, we outline all the research there and, and I'm an engineer, so I, I can relate to, okay, I heard you tell a story, but actually show me the, show me the data because <laughs> I want to see the data. But I think, uh, the question there that comes up at times is, is this really possible? I mean, I'm not, I have, I don't have many people question us about the data because it's not just our data. Mm-hmm. We pull on a number of sources, but is it possible for adults to grow and develop in who they are after they're, you know, out of their formative years. And there's research on that as well. I think the world at large, we tend to get this one wrong, but the answer is yes. And uh, that's a, that's a longer conversation. And, and perhaps that's the conversation that would be happening next. If somebody says, okay, I, I, I see that the, res- the research sounds accurate to me. You've laid that out. It matches up with some of my own stories, but how do you go about actually helping adults, adult leaders at various levels in an organization? How do you actually help them become more well-developed who's? Then if you're thinking that question, then I think it would be a great time for us to have a conversation. I think that's great. So if you are interested in uh, seeing what it looks like and, and, and proving that it's possible and what those steps look like, I want you guys to reach out to Tim. Uh, his website is the T-H-E. Aperio, A-P-E-R-I-O.com. You can purchase his book on there, read the blog. Uh, where else can they reach you at, Tim? Is there, there, is there a better way to get a hold of you? No, well, there's another website that might be a little bit easier for them to remember. So um, that would be because it's based on the title of the book. So you mentioned it's The Only Leaders Worth Following. So you can find us. You can also find us at theonlyleaders.com. Uh, we're actually in the process of getting a discussion guide that we're going to send out free of charge to people that are on our email list. And so in addition to the blog, there's some resources there. So theonlyleaders.com. And then there's you'll see all the spots there to uh, contact us. Outstanding. Theonlyleaders.com. Looking forward to checking that out. Tim, thank you again for your time and sharing your wisdom and knowledge with uh, our listeners. I very much appreciate it. Rami, thanks for the opportunity. Really enjoyed it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
Check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at People Processes. Go to peopleprocesses.com, subscribe, and get some of our subscriber-only content. And if you got something out of this, make sure you share it with anyone you know. Thank you for tuning in. Now it's time for you to go out there, have a great day, and get your work done.